Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him for us. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave up your only son. Jesus, thank you for all that you gave up and laid down and put on the cross for us. Father, we're so, so grateful that you can make us children of God simply through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We rejoice in that this morning, Father. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We magnify that name that's above every name, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to be in the house of God this morning, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Welcome to Family Church. Uh, on behalf of our senior pastors, Pastor Michael, Pastor Nancy, we want to welcome anyone visiting with us today. And uh, as Reverend Jason said, thanks to everyone online for watching this morning. We believe that we've come together to hear from the Word of God this morning. We're going to be helped by it, have our lives changed by it. Amen. Every time we come together, we gather in this place to hear the Word of God. It's an opportunity for us to leave looking more like Jesus than when we came in. Amen. So we're going to do that today. Praise God. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids down to Children's Church first. So if you haven't already gone, kids, you guys can head down. And the leaders, thank you for helping down there. Praise God. And uh, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings this morning. We do this right at the beginning of service here. You know, we've just spent time worshiping the Lord in song, and so now we're going to spend time worshiping the Lord with our offerings. We bring an offering before him, and the Bible tells us to do this, but also we like to look to the word when we do, because we don't want to do something just because it's what we've always done. We want to do it because it's what the word tells us to do. So uh, for an offering verse today, I've chosen 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. And it says, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Well, I mean, you know, verse 8 sounds real great, doesn't it? We like verse 8. We like that part, always having all sufficiency in all things. I would love to say that about my finances, that I always have all sufficiency. All sufficiency means that all my needs are always met. All my bills are always paid. And then it says, it goes on to say that we may abound to every good work. The Lord has called us as the church to be prospered, to be increased, to have a full supply so that we can then further his mission in the earth with that money. So that as we grow in finances, as we increase in, in number, as we increase in wealth, we can not just, uh, not just to hoard that to ourselves. The Bible says he does give us richly all things to enjoy, but that's not the only purpose for increase for the Christian. It's to take that and go out into the world with it, to be able to send it. You know, we're doing that today with our Mission Sunday offering. We have an opportunity, you know, not one of us may be called to go where the bowlings go, Mark and Victoria Bowling, to preach the gospel that they preach. You know, what an honor it must be. You know, I've, I've seen videos of Reverend Mark and he'll be standing up in front of crowds of thousands. I mean, tens of thousands. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but just crowds as far as the picture will show. And he's up there ministering the gospel to these people. And not just the gospel, they get saved, but then thousands of them will get healed in one shot. And then not just, not just saved, not just healed, thousands will get filled with the Holy Ghost right there on the spot. I mean, we look and we say, oh, we want the stuff in Acts. We want the stuff in Acts. Well, the stuff in Acts is happening. You know, America, praise God, we have this country that's been founded on what it's been founded on and we walk in the light of what we walk in. But there are places out there that don't have that. And in those places, God is moving powerfully in those ways. 
And, you know, we may not be called to those things, but God has purposed that we would abound to help those things come to pass. It takes money to throw crusades like that. It takes money to preach the gospel in those places. And how many know we want that money to be coming from God's people? But God is so good that he doesn't just mandate us to go and fund the gospel. He says, listen, if you take care of the gospel, I'll take care of you too. Thank God for that. Amen. That's the blessing of being a New Testament believer, of being a Christian, that it's not just for me. It's not just for the body. It's both. God's put all of it together. He wants us prospered. He wants his body prospered. We love verse 8 there, but verse 8 is contingent on something because it says at the beginning of it, and God. That means we have to look to the verse before. Verse 7 says, every man, as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. And here's the key, right? For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, we all want verse 8, but we've got to make sure we're doing verse 7. Verse 7 means that when the time comes for the tithe and the offering in church, uh, it's that time again. You know what? I know no one here feels that. This is for you on live stream. You know, you wait, you, you check back every now and then and wait for the service to start so that you can miss. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I hope nobody does that. But, you know, when we come to this part of service, we ought to have just as much excitement about the opportunity to give as we do about the opportunity to receive from the word, as we do about the opportunity to come and get our help. We ought to be, you know, when you're going through hell for the week before church and you think, gosh, I just can't wait till church. I just can't wait till church because I'm going to get my help there. I'm going to get my help there. We ought to have that same eagerness when it comes to the tithe. I just can't wait for church because I can get my tithe in. I just can't wait for church because I can give in the offering on Mission Sunday. That's cheerful giving. That's getting excited about it. Not just doing it because we have to do it, but doing it because our hearts are connected with it, because we want to be doing it. The whole New Testament is founded on our heart. The Old Testament was works. The Old Testament was doing it because it's what you were supposed to be doing, following the law, dotting every I, crossing every T. But the New Testament, God's after our heart. Yes, we still have to do these things. The tithe still exists. The offering still exists. But God's after our heart in it, not just the number we're writing down. So let's be reminded of that. Let's give cheerfully today. And as we give cheerfully, let's expect that God makes all grace abound towards us. Amen. Always, always abounding to every good work. Praise God. So if you have those tithes, this is the first offering, the tithe here. We have, of course, the different ways to give. You know, if you're church family, you know this, but uh, there's, there's the app there. You can PayPal, checks to family church. You online, make sure, be giving along with us as well. You know, you're partaking in every part of the service. This is just another piece of what we're doing here, what God is doing here. So connect with us on this as well. Go to our website and you can give that way. Let's release our faith as we give this morning. Father. We thank you for our local storehouse. We thank you for a place that we can connect our hearts to, that we can bring our tithes to. Father, as we give into this ground, we thank you, Father, for an opportunity to give cheerfully. We are prompt, eager to do it, givers, this morning, Father. And we thank you that you make all grace abound towards us, that we would abound to every good work, Father, that we would help further and send the gospel where you want it to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And as the offering buckets pass you by, uh, we're going to go ahead and receive our next offering here, our Mission Sunday offering. And just a reminder, you know, uh, of course, this is Pastor's heart. I'd share what he would say. You know, we don't normally receive multiple offerings on a Sunday, but also I believe we're not going to apologize for doing it either. You know, it's not a time when we come to this and sheepishly try and sweep this into the order of service and say, oh, you know, we have to receive another offering. Just throw it in and, and put it by the wayside. No. When the Bible says that we're abounding to every good work, 
that means we have an opportunity to abound to every good work. You ought to get excited that you go to a church that takes up multiple offerings. Because that church means that you know how to expect to receive from God to be able to give in multiple offerings. Amen? So when an opportunity comes, when Mission Sunday comes, when First Sunday comes, we have an opportunity. We ought to get thrilled at that, that, oh, I get to give in more than one offering this morning. We're giving you an opportunity to release your faith in a way that some churches won't because they're afraid to. But we're not going to do that around here because we're doers of the word. Amen? Praise the Lord. So uh, ushers are going to get your steps in today. Go ahead and come forward again, please. We'll receive the Mission Sunday offering for the bowlings. Father, we thank you for Reverend Mark, Reverend Victoria. Thank you for the call that's on their life. Lord, we may not be the ones called to go out into the world, but they are. And so we release our faith with them. We thank you, Father, that they go where you intend them to go. And as this offering goes into that ground, we release faith that their ministry is fully funded to do all that you've called it to do. You meet all their needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, what an opportunity to be a giver. Amen? Praise God. Remember this, when, they, when people get born again because of their ministry and you help send them, that's fruit on our account in heaven. Thank God for that. Uh, before we get into the service, I have one quick announcement I wanted to share. Uh, so the Chautauqua County Long-Term Care Council has reached out to our church here. It used to be the Chautauqua County Office of the Aging. And they would like folks who are um, on 60 years of age and older, uh, they have this survey that's been going around. Maybe you've seen it at doctor's offices or businesses. And it's just asking how, uh, what kind of services you know, the county can uh, offer and things and, and opportunities for clubs and things like that that would be a blessing to people in that age group. So if you're in that age group, we have these in the lobby. It's totally optional. Uh, your salvation is not dependent on you filling out this survey back there, but I know the, the county would be appreciative. The only thing is that we do need it back today because they have to pick it up tomorrow. So if you want to stay after the service today, go ahead and fill one out. I'm sure we can make you a cup of coffee in the kitchen while you do it, uh, but that's, that's out there. And again, no obligation whatsoever. Uh, no condo bondo if you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, so I don't blame you if you don't want to do it, but Let's go ahead and get in the word this morning. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be helped by the word today. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Hosea 4.6. I know I said Galatians 3. I'm just going to read Hosea 4.6. It says this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's God talking about his people. So I don't know about you. But I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want destruction to be on my resume anywhere, right? Destruction is not something that I want for my life. So if my people, God's people, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, that means that I ought to have knowledge about some things. We're going to look at some things we ought to have knowledge about today. Another thing, Jesus told Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen, our pastor, spiritual father, started Rama Bible Training Center. Jesus told him this, that one of the three reasons that God's people are sick is because they don't know that healing belongs to them. They don't know that healing belongs to them. Well, if that's one of the reasons they're sick, I believe we could say that's one of the reasons that they don't walk in any of the promises that God has for them. Healing is one of the promises that Jesus died for us to have, that we would walk in divine health, free from sickness, free from every symptom or plague that would try to come on our body. You know, Jesus died so we could be free from that. Anything that, di that he died for us to have, there's people who don't walk in those things because they don't know that it belongs to them. I'm reminded of uh, this story, and you've, I'm sure you've heard this before. I don't remember what minister it was. It might have been Smith Wigglesworth, but I'm not 100% sure. But uh, 
he, he, was, he was talking to a woman who was very, very, uh, very poor, in deep, deep poverty, and we'll say it was Smith Wigglesworth. If it wasn't, please forgive me, I apologize, but it was a minister. So, you know, Brother Wigglesworth is talking to this woman. She's in deep, deep poverty. And uh, he goes over to her house to help her, to minister to her, to minister the word to her, you know, as, as ministers do. And when he gets there, you know, he sees here's this, this woman. She's in this totally broken down house. She's in this completely, uh, you know, it's, it's a place where, you know, a poverty house. You know what those look like. And, you know, she gets in that place. Or he gets in that place and he's talking to her for a while. And then up on the wall, he sees this framed picture of a document. And he looks at that document and he says, sister, do you know what this is? And she says, no, uh, that was given to me by the man that I worked for my whole life. You know, I worked so hard for him. And when he died, when he was on his deathbed, you know, I cared for him in that time. And uh, when he was on his deathbed, he gave me this document and it meant so much to me that I had it framed and I put it up there on the wall. And Brother Wigglesworth says to her, sister, do you know what this says though? And she says, no, I can't read. I don't know what it says. It just means a lot because it came from this man. And he says, this is his last will and testament entitling you to everything that he had. She'd had that, and the man was wealthy that she worked for. She'd had that in her possession for who knows how long. But she was living in poverty. She was living in lack. She was living underneath, and she didn't have to be if she had only known what belonged to her. So Brother Wigglesworth comes in and says, Sister, this is... This says you can have everything. He had all his money. Everything is laid up and waiting for you. And of course, you know, she's overjoyed by this because this thing that she's been believing for for so long, she's been in lack and, and it was all right there ready for her. There are so many Christians who are living beneath all that God has for them. And right here on their coffee table, sitting on their bedside table, is the document that says everything that belongs to them. And they say, oh, that's my Bible. That's real precious to me. Well, is it precious enough to read it, to find out what's in it, to find out what belongs to me in it so that I don't have to live beneath anymore, so I don't have to live beneath what God, what God has left us as an inheritance. So this morning, we're going to look at our inheritance. We're going to look at what's been left to us because I believe that Jesus, he paid such a great price for us to have this. You know, we sang that song, Thank You, Jesus, for the blood. He literally on the cross, poured out his blood. He gave up his life for us to have these things. How, how much can we just live for him in them? Can we just have them because he died for us to have them? I would say, you know, I don't want to put a sense of obligation on us, but I almost have a sense of, I owe it to him to walk in the fullness of what he died for me to have. I owe it to him to walk healed. I owe it to him to walk supplied because he laid it all down for me to have it. How, how much it must hurt the heart of God to see his children out there who say that those things aren't for me, who say that those things aren't for today. Can you imagine, you know, as a parent, you work so hard, you work so hard for your children, you want to provide them a good home, you want to raise them in a good place, and then what if to have your child spit at you and say, that doesn't mean anything to me. How many Christians do that to their father? You know, how many times have we done that when we say, oh, I don't need to believe God, I'll just go to the doctor. I don't, I don't, I mean, nothing wrong with going to the doctor, but let's use our faith and go to the doctor, right? Let's be people of faith because when we're people of faith, the Bible says we please him, but also these things are available to us. So let's walk in them. We owe it to Jesus to walk in them. Amen. So we're in Galatians chapter three here. 
We're going to read verse 14, Galatians 3, 13. Sorry, starting in 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we believe this verse, it's in the New Testament, it's written to believers, and it says that we are redeemed from the curse. So that's our title. We're going to talk about being redeemed from the curse and what that means for us. This says that we can now have the blessing that was originally reserved for the Israelites. We're going to look at that. And it says the only thing that I have to do to receive that blessing, to receive freedom from that curse, is use my faith to do it. So the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we're going to hear the word today. We're going to have our faith increased so that we can walk in what we've been redeemed from. Amen. It says Christ hath. That means it already took place. Listen, let's just, let's just go here 101, right? You can't get any more redeemed than you already are when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can pursue righteousness, we can serve better, we can pray more, we can do all these things, but you're not going to get any more redeemed if you pray five hours a day than if you pray five minutes a day. We are already redeemed. Of course, we want to live under righteousness, but religion will tell us that we need to be perfect in order to qualify for the blessings of God. This verse says that's not true. This says that Jesus already redeemed me. It's already set. And we need to renew our minds to that so that we can walk in those redemptive rights that belong to us. We're not going to be able to walk in healing. You know, you've been in those situations before where a symptom comes on you and your first thought is always, what did I do? What did I do? What door did I open? Listen, you don't have to open a door. You are a child of God and the devil hates you. And he will automatically, first of all, he'll put sickness on you and then he'll make it think it's your own fault that you got it right? But if our minds are renewed to this, to say, no, 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 no. Whatever the cause, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. If sickness is in the curse, I'm redeemed from that, and I don't need to participate with sickness in my life. Now, of course, we know this. In the New Testament, you know, we're under grace. Thank God for that, and we're going to see these things. Yes, we still need to live right. This is not an excuse to go and do whatever I want, live however I want. Paul said, God forbid that I should live that way. But it is a call to know that in our redemptive nature, in the redemptive rights that Christ died for me to have, I can live free from these things once and for all. That even if I made a mistake that morning, if I repent, if I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I can stand before him with the same boldness that I did the moment I got born again when you felt all saved, right? Whether you feel saved or not, you're redeemed. Because the Bible says we are. Praise God. It says we're already, we qualify simply because of what he did. I'm redeemed because of him. And it says here, redeemed from the curse, that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles. Well, what's a Gentile? Gentile is anyone in the world that's not a Christian and not a Jew. Those are the three groups of people that God looks at. And we can look at scripture to prove that. But those are the three groups of people. He sees Christians, the body of Christ. He sees Gentiles. And then he sees Jewish people. So we're in one of those three. So before I got born again and became a part of the body of Christ, I was a Gentile. Well, the blessing of Abraham is in the book of Genesis. And in that, it talks about the blessing of Abraham was a promise that God made to Abraham, a covenant that he made with him that he would bless him and his lineage for all time. <clears throat> originally that was only reserved for the Jewish people. But when Jesus came, he said, that can now be your inheritance by faith through Jesus. 
Before that, before that, Gentiles had no access to the blessing of God. No access to it. But once Jesus came, he made it freely available for everyone. We changed when we made Jesus the Lord of our life. When we get born again, recognize what he's redeemed us from. We've now changed our lineage. We've changed our inheritance. You know, you may be in a family where you're going to have a nice inheritance when the person in front of you goes home to be with the Lord. You may not be in that family. But whatever family we're in, in the family of God, it says that I have a lineage that includes every blessing that God had for Abraham. Praise the Lord. So I don't know about you, but I want to find out what belongs to me. I don't want to just leave it up on the kitchen wall and go wanting, right? I want to walk in it. I want to experience it. I want my life to be a reflection of everything that God says I can have. Praise God. So let's look. It says we're redeemed from the curse. What are we redeemed from? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. We're getting help today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Sometimes you just got to stir up your faith a little bit. Stir it up a little bit. You know, if you, don't, if you leave soup cooking on the stove for too long and you just let it simmer for a long time, everything will kind of settle to the bottom and you look in and all you see is broth. But if you go in there and stir it up a little bit, now you start to see the good stuff that's in there, right? There's good stuff in us. There's good stuff in here for us. So let's just stir that up and, and enjoy it. Amen? Not just smell it and look at the broth, but actually partake of the good stuff in it. So Deuteronomy 28 we're not going to read the whole chapter, but this, this whole chapter does outline what's called the blessing and the curse uh, of the Mosaic Covenant, or of what was set up through Moses for the Israelites. And the gist is that if the Israelites obeyed the word of God, if they did what God said to, if they followed his commandments, they went where he said to go, they did what he said to do, they lived like he said to live, that they would get to enjoy the blessings that he had for them. And if they decided that they were going to disobey those things, that they would not get to enjoy the blessings, but instead, curses would come upon them. And this whole chapter goes through all the blessings and all the cursings that would come from this. Now, before we read this, though, uh, because the curse part of it that we're going to look at first, it starts in verse 15. But before we read it, I want to point something out. There was a scholar in the 19th century. His name was Dr. Robert Young. And he wrote a book called Helps and Hints to Bible Interpretation. And in this book, he goes over, and he was a Hebrew scholar, the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy was originally written in Hebrew. And he goes through the book, and he goes through the Hebrew text and how it was written to show us that a lot of times the way that the verbs were translated, and I know we're getting into some scholarly stuff here, but it's important that you understand this. The way that the verbs were translated, they were translated in the causative sense and not the permissive sense. I know I lost some of you with that, but bear with me. Basically, what he's saying, what he's showing for us, is a lot of these verses here and in the Old Testament, they'll say that God caused these things to happen, when what it really should have been translated is God allowed these things to happen. And that's a totally different way from how we look at it, because I don't know about you, but when I first started reading the Bible, I was so confused, because everybody would say, God's so good, God's so good, and then I'd read through the Old Testament and I'd say, are we talking about the same God? This guy don't seem so good, right? You read through it a little bit and you think, my goodness, this stuff, you know, this is, this is heavy stuff. Well, of course, God demands righteousness and he is a righteous judge and we know that. And there's things that do happen in the word that, you know, our minds, I really believe, just won't be able to comprehend down on earth. But when we get to heaven, it'll all make sense. Thank God for that. But I also know that God is a good father. 
Because Jesus said he's a good father in Matthew. He said, if we being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more our father which is in heaven. And a good father doesn't curse his children. A good father doesn't hurt his children. You know, I, I think I'm a pretty okay dad. I've got two kids in here. Am I an okay dad? At least, uh, he's, thank you. Goodness. Uh, Anyways, by faith, I'm an okay dad. I walk by faith and not by sight. So <laughs> he was like uprooted me right there, kiddo. Thank you for that. <laughs> this one nodded. Thank you. All right, new favorite. So, uh, <laughs> but listen, if I wanted, there are times that you have to discipline your children, but you do it in a way you teach them and it's, it's painful for a second and then you move on from that, Right. I would never look at my child and say, you didn't clean your room, have cancer, right? I would never look at my child and say, you did wrong, um, I'm gonna take all your money away forever and you're gonna live in poverty for the rest of your life to teach you a lesson. I would never do that. You would never do that to your children. Yet people think God, in his goodness, does that to his children. Do you see how twisted that is? That's not who God is. So as we look at these verses, we need to know, and I'm so grateful for this scholar, for Dr. Young, that brought this revelation to the body of Christ to know that we can read these and stand in the knowledge that God did not put these things on people, but rather he allowed them to happen. And that's a totally different thing. And we'll look at that a little bit too. But picking up in verse 15, this is part of the curse of the law that Jesus redeemed us from. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the, in the city, cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be the basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land and the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send, or we could say, the Lord will allow upon thee cursing, vexation, rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you be destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings, whereby you forsaken me. The Lord will allow pestilence to cleave unto you until, you have until it has consumed you from off the land wherever you go to possess it. The Lord will allow you to be smitten with consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with extreme burning and with the sword and blasting and mildew and they, they shall pursue until you perish. Boy, Pastor Scott, I'm so encouraged in church this morning. Boy, this is good stuff to be meditating on, isn't it? Listen, it is if you know you're redeemed from it. Because we can go to these verses and we can read every one of them and claim the exact opposite of it. That where it says this thing, no, 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 I'm redeemed from that, so I have this thing. And we flip it and we put it on its head and we say, no, this is what I partake in. So God allowing these things to happen, remember this, is not the same as him performing them. In the world where we live, when God originally created the world and he set Adam in the garden, we could say that Adam signed a lease on the earth. He signed a lease for his time here. He was here in the earth. Him and Eve were in that garden. And when they sinned, when Adam sinned, he now signed that lease over to Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan is the God of this world. So when it says God allowed, because that used to trouble me as well. I'll be honest with you. That used to trouble me because I think, well, if God is allowing it, isn't that basically the same as him doing it? But it's not. 
Because God is bound by his word. He gave his word to mankind. He created the earth. He said, be plentiful, renew it. He created the earth for them. He made an agreement with mankind. Mankind broke that agreement and signed the power of it over to the enemy, over to the devil. So now in the world, that's why all these awful things happen. People say, how can, good, how can there be a good God if all these awful things happen? Because Satan's in control of the world. God's not. God, when we surrender ourselves to him, he can now be in control of our life, but we still have the choice every moment of every day whether or not he is. Every decision that I make, I decide whether he's in control of it or not. He can lead me and guide me, but I'm the one that chooses whether I walk it out. But in the world, people who don't know him, they don't know any better because Satan is the God of this world and the Bible says that he has blinded them to the truth. They can't see that. So when someone says to you, because that's always the one that they love to go for, right? Well, if there's a good God, why do bad things happen? It's very clear because man signed over the earth to the devil and now the devil's in charge of the world until Jesus comes back and takes us home, which is why we want to get this job done so that we can go home. Amen? Praise the Lord. So what we see here is that in all of these covenants that God connected with man, because from, from, from the start of man up until this point. Remember, we had Abraham and the blessing of Abraham, but that was just for Abraham and his children and their children's children. And in that, they didn't really know the fullness of everything that belonged to him because that covenant, it was a covenant of increase, but as we can see here, there was so much more than that that God had for them. So he set up this covenant with his people, the Israelites, and he said, listen, if you'll do what you're supposed to do, you'll be able to be in right standing with me enough that I'll be able to bless you that I'll be able to help you, that I'll be able to do this. But if you don't do it, these things are going to come upon you. Well, how many know like good children of God, like good servants of God, they did exactly what they were supposed to do all the time? No, <laughs> that was a joke. They did not. Because we know this, the Israelites, we can look at them as an example of, my goodness, did you really do that again? Again, and again, and again. And I'm not standing up there from a place of judgment because I'm sure that there are, some of them are up there in heaven right now looking down at me saying, did you really do that again and again and again? Yes, I did. Thank you, Jesus. You forgive me. Make me right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> We're redeemed from the curse of the law. So when I accept Jesus, I now break Satan's lease on my life. I say no more because of what Jesus did for me, because of Galatians 3.13, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. No more will those things come upon me when I miss it. No more will those things overtake my life. No more will I have to walk on eggshells and make sure I live perfect every moment of every day because you know what you can't. No more will I have to do that because I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. That the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles. And so we want to look at what the blessing of Abraham is so that we can walk in the fullness of that. Amen? Because if that's what's supposed to come on me, I know I'm redeemed from this curse, and we're going to look a little bit more next week at the curse, you know, two-parter, make sure you come back, but we're going to look a little bit more next week at the curse, we're going to look at exactly what we're redeemed from, but I want to start talking about not just what we're redeemed from, but what we're redeemed to. What's in our inheritance? I know what I don't need to partake of, but what's available to me, Right? You know, you get, you get uh, a new vehicle. And of course, new vehicles have all these fancy bells and whistles in them. I don't know about you, but I like to get in that thing. I like to sit down and show me everything. What can this thing do? I want to experience the fullness of it. And that's what we ought to do with the promises of God, too, that there are things in here, if the Bible says that I can have it. I don't know about you. If the Bible says that I can have it, I am tired of not having it in my life. Amen. If it's in here for me, I'm taking it. I want to live in it. Because Jesus died for us to live in it. Praise the Lord. 
So the, the, the blessing of Abraham should come on the Gentiles. Look at, we're still there in Deuteronomy. We're going to look at verse 1. This is the blessing that you are, that belongs to you as a child of God. 28 verse 1. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Bible. Uh, it'll be up on the screens there. It says, this is, uh, now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Now we know this, their, their uh, economy was an agricultural one, so this made sense to them, but it's no less true for us today, even though I don't have cows and chickens, but I have, I have money, and that's how we deal in society today. So this is saying my money will be blessed, my savings accounts will be blessed, my, my, my ability to grow wealth will be blessed. Blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which your Lord your God gives you. He, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. Look at this one. I love this. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beasts, and in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will only be above, and you will not be underneath, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully." My goodness, if you ever need to be stirred up in what belongs to us and what we ought to be walking in and who I am, if you're ever feeling, oh, I don't feel really great about myself. I just, life's so hard sometimes. And I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I speak as one who hath been there, right? <laughs> when you feel those ways, get into this chapter a little bit. Get into Deuteronomy 28 because the Bible says that this belongs to me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath doesn't matter if I feel like I'm beneath. The Bible says I am not beneath. That I am far above, the New Testament says. And that's just one. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed when I walk around Fredonia. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I walk in my backyard. I'm blessed in my storehouse. My savings accounts are blessed. Everywhere I go, everything I touch is blessed because of who I am, because of who Jesus died to make me, because of what he redeemed for me to have. And you may say, well, Pastor Scott, you newbie, young guy, you, that's just the Old Testament. Well, listen to this, Hebrews 8, 6. Do you like this one? Now, as he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Does Deuteronomy 28 sound good? We have it better. 
Deuteronomy 28, that's like right here, and that's real good. You may be feeling here, you may be living here. Deuteronomy 28 says you can have this, but this says a better covenant which was established on better promises. I can't even get my hand, I'm six foot five and a half, and I can't even get my hand up. He's, yeah, thank you. Reverend Jason's taller than me, so he could thank you for that reminder. I appreciate that. That's so good. I'm above and not beneath, brother. The Bible says it right there. So if it's better than their covenant, wouldn't that mean at least the very same applies to us, right? At least that much. Listen, the first part of what we're redeemed from, we're redeemed from poverty. We are redeemed from lack. And that's what we're going to look at. The blessing of Abraham that Galatians says belongs to us as children of God. Do you know the first part of that blessing was? Money and increase. God saw, don't get quiet on me, God saw to it that as soon as he established a covenant with his people, the purpose of that covenant was their supply. The purpose of that covenant was their prosperity, their increase that they would be taken care of. Poverty is a part of the curse. We saw it says in verse 16, cursed will you be in the field, in, <clears throat> in the city, in the field. Cursed will be your basket, your storehouse, the fruit of your body, the fruit of your land the increase of your kind, so you won't have money that grows, you won't have money that increases. Cursed will you be when you come in, cursed will you be when you goest out. Poverty is a part of the curse, and we're redeemed from the curse, which means we're redeemed from poverty and lack. There is nothing in the Bible, and we're just going to swipe this whole thing clean today, because I'm about you, I am done living beneath, right? If Jesus died so that I could be redeemed from poverty, I'm having no part of it in my life. There is no place for lack in the life of the believer. Redeemed means this, the payment of a price to recover someone from the power of another. Before Jesus came, we were under the power of poverty because poverty is a fruit of Satan. Poverty is his kingdom. You look at Satan's stuff, it's dirty, right? Bible calls him the Lord of the flies. He's gross. He's dirty. You go into his places, you go into poverty places, they're dirty, they're sickness ridden. They're not good places. They're not, you can tell that God is not in the midst of that. Now, I believe that there are people that love God, that, you know, uh, third world nations and things, and they just don't know what the Bible says belongs to them. But as a whole, especially in our nation, where we know better than these things, you go into these places that are poverty-ridden, it just, you can tell that God's not in that. You get to heaven, there's no cobwebs in the corner. There's no cockroaches crawling around. God is, God is about increase. He's about more than enough. And Jesus died so that I didn't have to pay. Jesus paid the price so I didn't have to be a slave to lack anymore. Lack is a slave owner, and we've been set free from that slavery. We've been set free from it. Jesus came in. He set us free from that. Call it a plantation if you want to. He set us free from that, and he put us on the outside. He took our place in there so that we didn't have to take part in that. Thank God for what he did for us. What is poverty? Poverty is not having enough. Simple, right? Not having enough, not having enough increase, not having enough to pay your bills. I believe poverty is not having enough to give the way that your heart would want to give. You know, there's more that we want to do for the kingdom. There's more. That's why we're believing God to pay off this building, right? Because we want to be able to use those funds towards furthering the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. But prosperity is having enough to bless the kingdom of God, just like we talked about in the tithe and offering this morning. Pay my bills and have some left over. It's not just a get-rich-quick scheme, but poverty, po po prosperity sorry, is, is whole-body-minded, that it's an internal thing. It's not just having money in the bank. That's one part of prosperity. But prosperity is waking up knowing that I'm in the care of God. Prosperity is waking up and not having to think about what I owe anyone because I know that he's got me. 
Prosperity is waking up and knowing what belongs to you is walking in the peace of supply every moment of every day. That's true Bible prosperity. You know, people say money can't buy happiness. It can't buy happiness. Prosperity, though, God's kind of prosperity, there's joy in that. There's joy in that. And not just because there's enough money in the bank, because God doesn't care if there's enough money in the bank. If we look to him as our supply and his bank as our supply, it doesn't matter what the numbers look like. Of course, we have to use wisdom, and we'll see those things too. But um, Jesus said this to Brother Hagin. I'm not opposed to my people being rich. I'm opposed to them being covetous. And that's reflected all through the Bible. You know, everything that there are people that are down on, on uh, revelations that Brother Hagin brought to the body of Christ, but everything that Jesus said to him, you can prove out with Scripture. Every single piece of it. And this one's absolutely true too. The Bible says in Timothy that, uh, God hate, that <clears throat> we ought not to have a love of money. That's what's the root of all evil. Because people say money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. We ought not to look to money as our God. Uh, Matthew, Jesus told us that in the Gospels, that you cannot serve two masters, either God or mammon. You can't serve them both. If you serve God, he'll take care of the supply. But if we serve the supply, now we're, we're stuck on that. Money becomes a God to us, and there's no fruit in that. But in true prosperity, we look to Jesus as our supply. And it breaks my heart because I talk to people and there are so many people out there who are so down on what we call the prosperity gospel, you know. And I'm not going to hide behind it. I'm not going to sit and cower behind that title because I know, you know, you almost have to say, yeah, well, I believe in prosperity. Well, do you believe you're saved? Do you? I believe I'm saved. Do you believe you're healed? I believe I'm healed. You believe you're filled with the Holy Ghost? I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Then why do we shy away from prosperity? It's just one more thing that belongs to us. It's just one more part of who I am. It's one more part of what Jesus redeemed me from the curse of so that I could walk in the blessing of. We ought not to be ashamed of it. Now, of course, in the body of Christ, you know, people have been hurt by this over time because there were excesses. There were ministries that came along that said, you know, in order to be healed, you have to send us an offering. And, and those were associated, people associate that with prosperity doctrine. But that's not, that's not the Bible. That's man being led by the spirit of the devil to twist words in the body of Christ. And you look at those ministries that have started those things, they either never grow or they'll get taken out early because God protects his people. God makes sure that his church is taken care of and that there isn't wrong doctrine being preached out there. But I know this, I was talking to someone about this recently, you know, because they said, well, Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. And, you know, what about, you know, a vow of poverty and all that stuff. And I said, first of all, that, when he said, take up my cross and follow me, he, said, he just meant lay down my life for his will. Well, guess what? His will, as we see, is to be increased. So, okay, yeah, I will take it down so that I can do his will. Gladly, watch me go. But also, you know, the vow of poverty thing, I pointed this out to him. I said, listen, and you want to just take one example, and I pointed out one, and I'm not going to name a name here today, but I pointed out one because he said, you know, he started listing all of these wrong doctrines, wrong ministries that are out there, these heretical ministries because they preach prosperity and increase. And he said, you know, he said, listen, this guy here, you know, th this person is wrong because of this, this, and this. And I said, no, look at, look at it this way. I said, first of all, I won't stretch my hand against the Lord's anointed. If there's someone out there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I won't speak against it because they're my brother and sister. If they're off, God will take care of it. It's not my job as little old me in Family Church Fredonia to right all the wrongs that are in the body of Christ. You know, I don't need to go out there proclaiming and preaching this church is wrong, this church is wrong, this church is wrong. 
I'm just going to preach what the word says is truth. I won't stretch my, if, if, if somebody's off, I think God is big enough to handle it, right? I know my kids, I love them, but they don't get to parent each other. I parent them, right? And there's a whole lot of Christians out there that are trying to be parent to the brother and sister. That's out of order. That's not your place. Whoever you are, I don't know if you're on live stream or somewhere, that's not your place. Your place is to do what the word says for you to do, to follow daddy's commandments to you, not to preach his commandments to somebody else. But move on. So in this, though, I said, listen, I won't say anything against them, first of all. Second of all, this ministry, and I took one example of one ministry. Do you remember that Indian Ocean uh, tsunami that happened in 2004? I did research on this. That ministry was there before any global relief agency with millions and millions and millions of dollars to help those, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people died, but to help those nations get back on their feet, to help people to, to, to serve them, to help them, to feed them, to clothe them. These ministries were there, these greedy prosperity ministries. I don't see some poverty church doing that. If I, want to be able, if I want to be able to do the work of God in the world, it takes money to do that. It takes increase to do that. <clears throat> and we can see clearly in the word that if I'm living beneath that, that's not what God has for me. So we need to view richness <clears throat> and what belongs to us here. We need to view it as a tool. Money is a tool for us to further the gospel. Amen. So no matter what, if somebody comes against you and starts, oh, you go to that church, don't they believe in prosperity? Yes, we do, glory to God, because the Bible says that we should. And you can show them. You can show them line by line, scripture by scripture. This is here. This is truth. This is truth. And a lot of times they're just spewing back out things that they don't even believe. They don't even know are true. But you can show them in the word and prove that it's truth and say, this is because of this. You know, <clears throat> I, I heard people once that they said, oh, don't you go to that church? Doesn't your pastor drive a BMW? It's like, mm-hmm, he do. Yeah, he do. And I'm glad that he does because I want to one day. You know, I want, I want people that lead me into what belongs to me. I want someone that I can follow. Moses was a person that the Israelites could follow. He walked in the blessing of God. He didn't walk in the curse. He obeyed God. He followed his commandments so that the Israelites could follow his example. Amen. And so thank God that we have people that can lead us into these things. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Turn with me there if you would. Because that's Old Testament. You may say that's just in the Old Testament. And I showed you that we have a better covenant. But if you need to see scripture in the New Testament to prove it. And even if you don't, well, my goodness, let's just get refreshed by it anyways. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Nope, chapter 8, sorry, and verse 9. I think I gave you guys the wrong verse back there. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, get ready for this. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Ooh, doesn't that, I mean, my goodness. Just read that, chew on that for a few minutes, right? That I through his poverty might be rich. Me. So it says here, for you know the grace. So that word grace, again, that's reaffirming what we already saw, that I've been redeemed from the curse. It's not by anything I can do. There's no way that I can earn prosperity in the New Testament. There's no way that I can earn increase. It belongs to me because I'm a child of God. Supply belongs to me because I'm a child of God. Grace, uh, Pastor Michael's taught us this, this uh, acronym for it, God's riches at Christ's expense. So the riches that belong to God are mine because of what Christ did. That's what this verse is telling us here. 
Uh, and clearly, I love this, it says, you know the grace. So Paul is saying to them, you know this. Remember it says in Galatians 3 that we need to have a faith transaction in order to walk in this blessing? So he's reminding them, listen, this ought to be in you. You ought to be familiar with this. You ought to know this truth, that it's the grace that affords this to you. And if you're concerned that you weren't good enough to be able to qualify for this stuff, be refreshed by the fact that he wrote this to the church at Corinth. You want to talk about the church that wasn't doing it right. You know, you, look, you read through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I mean, if it was something that you could do wrong, they might have been doing it. They were not exactly the holiest of churches. They loved God and the spirit flowed in their services because where people are hungry for him, he'll be there. But it's not our works that earn us these things. It's through the grace. It says, though he was rich, though he was rich. So we know this, that in heaven, of course, Jesus, before he came to earth, he had an abundant supply, right? Let's just talk about what heaven looks like for a second. Does anybody have any gold on them? Okay, so he has a gold necklace here. Can I, I'll take your ring. I won't wear it, I promise. Maybe, need some dish soap. <laughs> it's warm in here. Thank you. Okay, this is real gold, right? Okay, so we have here a gold ring, right? This is a gold ring. The world looks at this. People look at prosperity preachers with a few of these on their fingers and say that they're off in doctrine. Did you know that this here, right here, isn't even enough to pave a piece of the streets of heaven with? This right here. This piece here that we value, that we look at, that we get offended over when people have too much of it, isn't even enough to pave the streets of heaven with. Thank you. That's a nice ring. Thank you. God's, God's view of wealth, God's view of increase is so much greater than what we can even comprehend here on this earth. He paves his streets with gold. You look at his kingdom as it's outlined, especially in the book of Revelation. I mean, precious stones adorn the walls, crystal everywhere, things that we look at. And, and we come into a place, people come into this church and they get offended, you know, and we almost have to say, don't, don't worry, don't worry, it was insurance money. You know, you almost have to, no, 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 we did this, we paid above the insurance money because we believe the house of God ought to reflect God himself. You look at the Old Testament and how he wanted the Old Testament built. Gold everywhere. Gold everywhere. Increase everywhere. When Solomon pursued him, Solomon became a man of great wealth and gold followed him. Increase followed him. You follow God's people through every covenant. When they got in line with what he wanted for them, increase followed them into that. Praise God. And it's no exception in this new covenant. The Bible says that God swore to himself and he changes not. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you think he saw through every other covenant, through Adam's covenant, through Abraham's, through Moses' covenant, every one of them had increase for his people. Why would it change under Jesus? He swears to himself and he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a better covenant on better promises. These things belong to us. God's wealth, Jesus was so rich in heaven and then he came to earth for us. And people will say, well, he was poor while he was on the earth. That's not true either. It's not true either. And the Bible is very clear about that. Their ministry never lacked for supply while they were on the earth. But he had to go to the fish for supply in order to show us that he'll supply it from anywhere. But they had to believe God for, for food in the wilderness in order to show us that God will supply the need anywhere. The money was there for it. Jesus wasn't concerned about it. What he wanted to do is prove that whether the money's there or not, he's still the supply. Because if they were only looking to the checking account, if they were only looking to the money that was in the bank account at that moment, they wouldn't be looking to Jesus as the supply. 
so they had to look to him. Jesus, did you know this? He had multiple houses while he was on the earth. Not just one. Well, that was another thing I was talking to a friend of mine about. He's just, you know, all oh, these people that have more than one house. Okay, Jesus did. You study out the Gospels. He had more than one house. He traveled. I was reading a commentary this week. He traveled in the same style that royalty would have traveled in. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a mule, right, that had been set aside, that they said, this will be here when the master needs it. You say, I have need of it. He goes and he gets on it. When he rode on that, that was the same way that royalty would have traveled into that city. Jesus, you're going to tell me somebody sucking in poverty was living on that? No, no, no. That's how God calls for us to live. His clothing was so valuable that they gambled over it after he died on the cross. Jesus is about increase. Jesus was about that when he was on the earth. And let me ask you this from, are you redeemed from sin? Are you redeemed from sickness? Are you redeemed from depression? Anxiety? All these things. Did Jesus live in any of those things when he was on the earth? He was sinless, right? He was never depressed. He was never anxious. He was never worried or concerned. He was never sick while he was on the earth. If he was never any of those things that belong to us as children of God, why would we think that he was poor while he was on the earth? Because Satan wants to take increase from us. He wants to take supply from us because he knows that that's what it takes to further the gospel of God. So it's truth. When he was on the earth, he was rich. He was fully supplied. So when did he become poor? Because this verse says, yet for your sakes, he became poor. He became poor for us on the cross. The same place that he became sickness, the same place that he became, that sickness was put on him, that, that, sin, that he became sin for us. And I love what this verse says. I was meditating on this. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. Jesus became poverty. He, you know, we can't even wrap our minds around that, but he embodied poverty for us. Everything that poverty is, everything that lack is, he became that. And you know what he did with it? He took it down to hell. Because the Bible says that he went to hell for three days afterwards and then he rose again from the dead, bringing captivity captive. We can't go through all that, but it's in the Bible. But he took it down to hell and he didn't bring it back up with him. He left it down there. So when we're partaking of lack and poverty, we're partaking of something that's from hell. Very clearly. Sin is from hell. We don't want any part in it in our life. Sickness is from hell. We don't want any part in it in our life. We ought to view poverty with the same disdain that we view sin. Ugh. I'm not going to touch that. You know, you're thinking, of course, it's not as prevalent today, but we ought to, we ought to be afraid to sin. We ought to be afraid to, to do wrong before God, to, to make, you know, to do things that violate the leading of the heart. We ought to also have that same fear from, I'm not going to have any part in lack. I'm not going to allow small thinking in my mind. I'm not going to allow lack in my mind. Bless God, if I've been on the dollar menu for all these years, I'm going to move up to the next value menu. You know, you just, you go up little by little. You purpose to push forward, to push forward, to go more and more and more because he doesn't have for us to live down there. If there's something in our life that we've been living with lack in and we've become comfortable with that lack, we're comfortable with something that doesn't belong to us. It belongs to devil and his gang. And we don't want any part in that. I love what the Amplified says about this. It says, by his poverty, you might become enriched abundantly supplied. We like that, right? Listen to the Passion Translation. So that by his poverty, we become rich beyond measure. Ooh, rich beyond measure. That's the supply that Jesus died for us to have. That's the increase that he died for us to have. Let's look at one more verse in the New Testament. 
Philippians chapter 4. Bet you've never heard this one before. Getting our faith stirred today, amen? I know this all seems pretty, you know, this is stuff, it's nothing new, of course, and it's nothing we haven't heard before. But I just think, imagine that woman, once she saw that thing on the wall, and she knew what it was. And, you know, uh, Brother Wigglesworth or whoever it was tells her, why don't you take this to an attorney and have them explain to you everything? Can you imagine what that must have been like for her? Sitting in that with the attorney going over, well, you know, he had this much in savings accounts, that's yours. He had this house here, this house here, this house here, those are yours. He had this staff and this staff and this business and this interest bearing account that now has this much in it, that's yours. I mean, just poof, poof, poof. all that poverty and all that lack that she lived in for so long. And just, she's finding out more and more. When you get into the word and find out what belongs to you, that's what it's like for us. That no more, we don't have to live beneath anymore. We don't have to live in lack anymore. That this building can be funded and paid off through us because of what belongs to us, that we can walk in that. Amen. Philippians 4, verse 19. says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Oh, glory. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's just go word by word. But. How are you going to preach on the word but? Watch me. But. Some of us need some more but in our faith. What is. Hear me out here. I saw this and I got so excited while I was going through this. But. You draw a line in the sand. It was going this way for so long. But. It stops here. Poverty has always been a part of my family. It's been a part of my family for generations. We've never had increase. You know, I've never had increase in my life. My bills have always been so much. I only make so much at my job, but you stop it there. You put a line in the sand. You say this far, lack comes this far, it comes no further. It comes no further. Lack, you've had your fun up to this point, but from this point on, but I'm living in the fullness of everything that belongs to me. You remember, I know Pastor says, I think he says this is an outdated movie reference. I still think it's current because it's one of those legendary movies that'll live forever. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the very first one, Gandalf stands up there with his rod and he stands against the, the monster. What's the monster? What's the monster called? The what? The Malrog? Mal Balrog, thank you. And he stands up against Balrog and he puts his staff down. And he says, You shall not pass. You do that to lack. Oh, he does it more beefy. You shall not pass. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Because sometimes we do that in our faith, right? We'll get there and be like, don't touch me. <laughs> you put it down. You shall not. Pastor says, I don't lack. <laughs> and then you turn and look the other way and hope, hope and the rods are shaking and you hope he's not looking. But the Holy Ghost will tell you to get over there and get bold about it. You say, Lack, you have had fun up to this point in my life. You have antagonized me. I've felt the warmth. You've blown your fire. You've done all this stuff, but up to this point, but no more. No more will I have lack in my life. But my God, my God, how could Paul have the confidence to write this? Because he knew God. The blessing of Abraham could come because Abraham knew God. What was the blessing of Abraham? He made a promise to Abraham when he had no children. No children, that his children and his children's children for generations and generations would have a full supply from heaven. Think of what that does to your mind. But Abraham, he didn't question it. He didn't doubt it. The Bible says that he was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Imagine how that must have sounded. Let's put that in terms of increase for us, right? I will prosper. God says, God says that you will prosper during inflation. 
God says, how about this one? God says, you can fill your gas tank. <laughs> I mean, wow, you want to talk, right? God says, you can go grocery shopping. And you don't have to buy the store brand stuff. I mean, woo, some of you, that's like, I can't handle that's too much, too much, too much. Your situation may look impossible. Abraham's situation looked impossible, but he knew who God was. Paul could write, my God, because he knew who God was. You need to know who your God is. How do you get to know him? You spend time with him. You get in the word. You dig deep with him. You say, this is, this is my God, and he's going to do this for me. Shall supply. Shall supply. It's a guarantee. It's a law. It is a law. It's surely if I hold my iPad up and I drop it, it's still good. Don't worry. I have a supply for a new one. It's a... It's as sure as the law of gravity that I have a supply from heaven. It's written in stone by the word of God. Praise God, shall supply all my need. All my need. We're not going to settle. All my need. There's not just enough of what he's going to supply. All my need. Every bit of it. I heard one minister, God bless her, you know, uh, she was new in the faith preaching and she, I, she, a friend of mine ran into her at the store and she was buying Dramamine, you know, for motion sickness pills. And no condo bondo if you take Dramamine. I'm believing God myself to not have to take Dramamine anymore. So you can hook up your faith with me on that. But she was buying it and she said, you know, he sees her with it. And I think she was kind of embarrassed because she was caught buying medicine, you know, like it's some big taboo sin or something. And she says, well, there's only so much faith can do. No, there's not. There, I mean, there is if you're only willing to, to work it so hard, but what we're willing to pursue, this says all my need. If I get to the end of my month and I'm $1 short, I'm going to God. I'm saying, no, God, you said what? You said all. You said all. This is $1. You owe me a dollar, God, because you said all. You get bold with him. The Bible says boldly approach the throne of grace to take charge. Praise God. 1 Timothy 6.17 says God has given us richly all things to enjoy. The Passion Translation says he lavishes upon us all good things and fulfills our every need. Oh, glory. That there's nothing that doesn't qualify for all. And I love this. According to his riches and glory. Supply all your need according to his riches and glory. What is my supply according to? According to his riches, not according to my riches, not according to my bank account, not according to my income, not according to my social security, not according to, you want to go down the list? I remember Dr. Dufresne, pastor, spiritual daddy. He used to say this. People say, well, they have a fixed income. Well, who fixed it? You fixed it. Because they fixed it with their words. Because they said, I have a fixed income. Well, now you do. You got your words set against you. I ain't fixing no income because I've got the supply of God, Right? All my need according to his riches and glory. That there's an account that Jesus died that he set up for me to have that has a full supply for every transaction of faith that I could ever need to make here on this earth. I started doing this uh, in, in, in my confessing. You know, the Bible says that we have what we say. So you go through and you find things that you need, you want to believe God for, Mark 11, 23, 24. You see the light of it, you believe God for those things, you release faith for him. And I started visualizing that every time I would release faith as a confession, I would almost see myself signing a check. Not, I'm not writing faith checks, you understand? That's not, that's not right, we don't do that. Faith checks are when you write it, the money's not there and you hope it'll be there by the time it clears. That's not faith, that's stupid. <laughs> we don't do that. But I see this, when God set up these account, this account, his riches in glory, it says through Christ Jesus. Jesus now gave us a checkbook that he co-signed all the checks on. 
So it is up to me now to make a withdrawal on everything that's in that account for me. So every time that I release faith, you know, I go through and I call every one of our bills paid in full every month, and I'll do it one at a time, line by line, and I'll sign that with faith in my spirit. I sign this by faith. I sign this by faith. I'm making a withdrawal on what belongs to me. And those checks don't bounce because the money's there, because God is there, because his supply is there, because increase is there, because is his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Everything that heaven itself enjoys, the Bible says, is mine to enjoy because of what he redeemed us from. Praise God. So we've been redeemed from the curse of lack. We've been redeemed from the curse and poverty. How many of you want to live like that? Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to keep looking next week at what else we're redeemed from. But uh, why don't we pray right now? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for redeeming us from the curse of the law. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for us on the cross. Thank you so much for going to hell in our place, for suffering for us, for taking sin, sickness, poverty, depression, anxiety, all those things, for taking them to hell and leaving them there that I wouldn't have to participate in them, that I wouldn't have to have them in my life. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus for us so that we could be in right standing with you, so that we could walk in the blessing of Abraham and everything that you intend for us to walk in. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give an invitation here this morning. You heard me talk about everything that Jesus redeemed us from, and he redeemed us from a whole lot. Sin, sickness, poverty, depression, anxiety, all those things, and the list could go on and on. But Jesus is the one that redeemed us from those things. And unless we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we don't get to participate in those things that he's redeemed us from. So I want to give you an invitation because the first thing that Jesus redeemed us from was spiritual death. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from the Spirit of God, from God himself, God the Father in heaven who longs to spend eternity with you. You are an eternal creature, and when you pass from this earth, you're going to go to either heaven or hell for all eternity. The Bible says it's easy to get to heaven. It's so simple. That was the first thing that Christ redeemed us from was spiritual death. And all we have to do, the Bible says, is believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, and we shall be saved. And we walk in those redemptive rights that he's had for us. So if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you're watching on live stream, uh, stay tuned. I'll tell you how to do it. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you an invitation now. I want you to know that you can walk free from a fear of spiritual death, that you can know that when you take your last breath on earth and your first breath in the next life, it'll be in heaven. You can know that with a guarantee. But then you can also live on earth free from all these things and the curse that aren't ours to partake in. So if you're here... And you want that. You want Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. Go ahead and raise your hand today. Praise the Lord. It's just me looking around. I want to make sure I don't miss any hands this morning. And if you're here and I see that hand back there, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're on live stream again, stay tuned with us. It's not the, the raising of the hand that leads you to salvation. It's believing in the heart, the Bible says. And I'll, I'll walk you through that in just a moment. If you're here with us in the place today, we've had someone who raised their hand for salvation. But if you've walked away from the Lord, the Bible tells the story of the prodigal son, a young man who, uh, he had everything in his father's house, but he decided that he could do it better on his own. And so he, he, he left father's house and he spent everything that he had and he realized he couldn't do it better on his own and he wanted to go back to father. 
And he expected that his father was going to be there uh, to cast him aside, to make him a servant, to not welcome him back in. But instead, his father was there with open arms, ready to welcome him back in. And that's, that's Father God. That's an example of him. If you, one day, you served God, you loved God, but you've walked away from him, you've stepped away from him, and you want to come home to him today, you want to rededicate your life, is what we call it, but you want to run back to him. He's there with arms open. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Praise the Lord. I don't see any hands for that today. So with that one that raised their hand, we're not going to single you out because we have folks on live stream too. And the Bible doesn't say that it's the raising of hand, raising of hands that gets us saved or born again. The Bible doesn't say that it's coming up in front of a group of people that gets us saved or born again. No, it's believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you're here and you, prayed, you need to pray that prayer, whether you raised your hand or not, if you're online, you need to pray this. Just repeat this after me, and I'll ask the whole congregation to do it and join your faith with that one that's praying this for the first time. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me. He rose again from the dead so I could be saved. This morning, I make Jesus the Lord of my life. My life will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. To the one that raised your hand, we're so thrilled for you. Uh, you know, you've, you've made a decision that changes not just your, your life here on earth, but your destiny. And I, we're so thrilled. I encourage you. We have a gift, ba- a gift bag for you. My wife will have it in the lobby after service there. Uh, but it just has some information to help you get started on your new walk with the Lord. And, you know, we've all, most of us in this room have made that decision at one point. So I know your mind is probably racing. You're probably thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do now? What do I do now? You know, everybody's going to know. We've all done it at one point. We've all prayed that prayer before. But I'm so thrilled for you, and especially you on live stream, if you prayed that, your life will truly never be the same after this day. Never be the same now that Jesus is in it. So uh, we're going to walk in the redemptive rights that he has for us. Amen. Praise God. I encourage you to come back out next week. We'll get part two of this, and we'll live in the fullness of what he has for us. Love you all so much. Corporate prayer tomorrow, and we'll see you later. Have a good week.